0: Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised.
1: In 2006, a visitor to Laurel Grove Cemetery in Port Townsend, Washington noticed something strange. The tomb of Charles Eisenbeis and his first wife, Elizabeth, was open. It had cracked and the stone fell into the burial vault, leaving it wide open to the elements. And a startling discovery was made inside. You see, in March 1902, when Charles Eisenbeis died, he was a prominent figure in the community. As such, the whole town turned out to see his casket carried down the steps into the subterranean vault and placed next to the coffin of his first wife. After, the vault was sealed. And that was that until 2006, because when the family went to investigate reports of this broken vault, they found the stone had fallen in such a way that it flipped over Elizabeth's coffin and shattered the Victorian viewing glass on the top. But it also smashed the coffin of a child. This small coffin had been sitting atop Charles's casket, a small coffin that certainly had not been there in 1902. Descendants of Charles and Elizabeth have no idea who this child is, and the identity of the child remains a mystery to this day. But, at Menresa Castle in Port Townsend, a castle that Eisenbeis himself built, there have long been reports of the ghost of a child playing and giggling within its walls, though no child has been recorded as having died there. Sounds like the perfect place for us to explore. Shall we? I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. On July 10, 1832, Charles Eisenbeis was born. We share a birthday. Well, I wasn't born in 1832, clearly, but sometimes I feel like I was. His parents were Johann George Valentin Eisenbeis and Catherine Krone of Nunkirschen, Saarland, Germany. Before it was Germany, of course, his ancestry is noted as Prussian. He was the third of many children and was preceded by an eldest sister and his brother Frederick, his very close companion. They were a family of Millers. When Charles was 24, he and Frederick set off for America. They settled in Rochester, New York in 1856. Two years later, they were attracted to California and landed at San Francisco. Soon afterward, they came north. Frederick starting a bakery in Stylacum, while Charles embarked on the same business in Port Townsend. In fact, Charles did very well. He prospered and eventually became a leading member of the Group of Five, five residents who dominated Port Townsend's economy. Charles acquired much of his wealth by supplying bread and crackers to ships and sailors who stopped at Port Townsend to restock their foodstuffs for their next voyage. Charles married his first wife, Elizabeth Bargamer, in 1865. They had four children, Charles Jr., Frederick, Sophia, and Louise. In 1882, Elizabeth died. Charles remarried within a year of Elizabeth's death, this time to young Catherine Elizabeth Marsh. They also had four children, bringing the Eisenbeis total to eight, Lillian, Otto, Hilda, and Josephine. In its early years, Port Townsend, Washington, benefited from the business acumen of Charles, who was quite a jack-of-all-trades. He found himself in baking, brickmaking, lumber-milling, brewing, banking, and had some role in a hotel as well. In 1878, when Port Townsend became the first incorporated city in Jefferson County, its citizens elected Eisenbeis as the first mayor. Port Townsend held a lot of promise for Charles and his contemporaries. City leaders banking that the railroad would terminate at the seaport spurred a development boom that raised most of the buildings that today make up the downtown and uptown cores, as well as many of the homes. In that hopeful boom of the early 1890s, Charles embarked on a new effort to construct a marvelous home for his family, a home that would be known as Eisenweiss Castle. Having amassed a fortune in several businesses, including the manufacture of bricks, lumber, and banking, Eisenbeis built the largest private residence in town using bricks from his own factory. 25,000 bricks were used to construct the home. The bricks came from his own brickwork. Tiled fireplaces and finely crafted woodwork were installed by German artisans. The home boasted 30 rooms spread out over four floors. Taking one look at the exterior, it's easy to believe that Charles had the home designed in the style of Prussian architecture. Located at 651 Cleveland Street in Port Townsend, Washington, now Manresa Castle, has bluff top views of the Puget Sound. However, the hopes of Port Townsend's leaders did not pan out. The railroad didn't make it. Rail lines ended on the east side of Puget Sound and then a nationwide depression hit in 1893, triggering significant fallout in the region. As the city's glory waned, things got tough for some. One of the victims of the downturn was Charles Jr. As one of the local papers put it, it was reported as he was missed from his place of business at 9 o'clock this morning and although a search was instituted immediately, It was not until 9 o'clock tonight that his body was found lying on the ground underneath the Mount Baker Block, owned by his father. The Mount Baker Block building was and is still in the busiest part of Port Townsend's downtown district, but no one heard the fatal report of Charles' pistol. Charles' wife, Natalia Selma Phillips Eisenweiss, survived him, as did their young daughter, Derlotta. His closest friend was a judge named J. A. Kuhn who wasn't surprised by the news, which, as he said, was the result of several months' despondency. In 1902, Charles died at the age of 70. Charles' death was due to Bright's disease. It's not clear if he died in the castle or at a hospital. Charles' death was a curious coincidence, though. Frederick, 77, had expired nearly at the same moment as Charles'. When a member of the family of Charles Eisenbeis was in the telegraph office sending news of the death of Charles, he received a message announcing the death of his brother, F.E. Eisenbeis. After Charles's death in 1902, Kate stayed in the house until 1906 when she remarried. At that point, the castle remained empty for almost 20 years, looked after by a single caretaker. In 1925, according to Manresa Castle's website, a Seattle attorney bought the castle as a vacation place for nuns teaching in Seattle schools. This plan did not work out well, and in 1927, the Jesuit priests purchased the building for use as a training college. The priests spent their 16th and final year of training here studying ascetic theology. In 1928, the Jesuits added a large wing housing a chapel and sleeping rooms. They also installed the elevator, an Otis, at a cost of $3,400, a substantial sum in those days. When their addition was complete, the Jesuits, this hurts my heart, the Jesuits stuccoed over the bricks of the original portion to give the building a more uniform look. They named the complex Manresa Hall after the town in Spain where Ignatius Loyola founded the order. The Jesuits left in 1968 and the building was converted into a hotel. The elements of Manresa And Castle were taken from the two previous owners to create the current name. As with any large spooky castle, there's lots of lore surrounding Manresa, and that includes many, many unverifiable stories. One such is reported by investigator and author Jeff Dwyer. Although this rumor is connected to a bartender in the 1990s, the story is set in 1921, when an English woman named Kate allegedly arrived at Manresa Castle. The rumored spirit, who isn't Charles' wife, but a guest who spent several months in room 306 after Charles's death, she supposedly received news that her beau had perished while on a ship out to sea. Grieving, she died by suicide when she jumped from the window of room 306. Apparently, her information was wrong, though. The ship carrying her lover had indeed sunk, but he'd survived and was rescued by a passing vessel. In order to get Kate's attention, Dwyer used some less-than-traditional tactics, according to his book. He says he made derogatory accusations, insults, and challenges all built around words that could not be included in this book, he says. The spirit named Kate was reportedly very angry and very active, sharing with Dwyer that she was not faithful to her fiancé while he was on the long and fateful voyage to Alaska, resulting in pregnancy. After news of his ship sinking, she mourned for weeks, until she received news that he had been rescued and was en route. This catalyzed the decision to jump from the window. Again, absolutely none of this is documented or substantiated, so if anyone finds record of this, please let me know, but I have looked pretty extensively. And let's not go after Jeff Dwyer though, since I don't know him, but I know how many of my listeners hate the idea of any spirit being provoked, so maybe we can use this interest in Manresa to get the story correct and the history correct. Back to it. Apparently the spirit attributed to this Kate is often seen in room 306. She has long dark hair and, wait for it, a white gown. She's spotted by the window where she supposedly jumped. Kate seems to be mischievous and messes up belongings that guests have organized. She'll sit on beds when people are in them, and there are reports that her singing emanates from the bathroom overnight. Now again, Jeff Dwyer claims that a young Jesuit died by suicide in the attic in early 1930s, after rumors about his relationship with a nun began circulating. Often, third-floor guests report hearing a rope stretching and the beams groaning as if a body is swinging in the darkness of the huge attic. I have found no trace or whisper of verification for this story. Another source attributes the event and haunting to the attic space that's just above room 302. The claim that a priest died by hanging in the attic space above room 302 seems to be traced to Father John Alden Murphy, who drowned in the Puget Sound on September 2, 1943. In a clipping from the San Francisco Examiner from August 31, 1943, we learn that Father John Alden Murphy likely drowned while swimming in the Puget Sound near Port Townsend. The 33-year-old teacher worked at St. Ignatius High School in San Francisco, but had been taking special studies at Manresa Hall. After he didn't return to Manresa, a search began. His clothes were found in a pile on the beach. So let's talk the hauntings. Obviously, Manresa is haunted, or we wouldn't be talking about it, but it's difficult to pin down who could be haunting it exactly, since there are no verified deaths or traumatic events attached to it. Although, I do want to point out the mysterious coffin appearance in Charles's vault we talked about in the beginning, because if there was ever a cause for a ghost to be hanging around, I'd say that's a pretty good one. Activity-wise, the doors are known to open and close without anyone around. Rooms 302, 304, and 306 are supposed to be the most haunted. Daniel Demay referenced an article by James Barnett from 2004, where the latter dated stories of hauntings at Manresa Castle to a bartender's imaginative storytelling in the early to mid-1990s. Demay is a Port Townsend local, and his father was a housekeeper at Manresa Castle in the late 70s. His father told him that, while wrapping up in room 306, a key ring he'd placed on a dresser floated in midair about 18 inches off the wood top. As he stared at it, the ring crashed down on the table with a clatter. In 2018, the front desk manager, Kimberly Smith, told a journalist that although the latest owners don't play up the paranormal as much as previous ones have, they have received accounts of a sad, unseen violinist That's a new one as well as a giggling child and a woman named Natalie. The dining room is supposedly haunted by Kate Eisenbeis, Charles' wife. She is seen sitting in the dining room in a long Victorian gown. An EVP of a female spirit has also been captured in that space, speaking German. What's now the banquet hall was the Jesuits' chapel. Glasses that have been properly placed on tables are found upside down and sometimes they will be shattered with no explanation. Staff members have also reported feeling watched in this space. But don't take it from me. We're going to shift gears here a bit. Usually we speak with someone who has investigated a location, but we're actually about to speak with the night front desk agent. Amber Dawn is her name, and she spends just about every night, sometimes very alone, in the heart of Manresa Castle. And to say she has some stories is putting it lightly. So stay with us. We'll chat with Amber Dawn after this. I am sitting here now with Amber Dawn, who is the front desk staff at Manresa Castle. And what's interesting is she works the night shift. So normally we're chatting with paranormal investigators or teams who have investigated, but I think Amber Dawn is in the thick of it at Manresa, and she's got some (laughs) stories to tell. Wouldn't you say Oh, yes, most definitely. (laughs) I love that you picked the night shift on purpose because you wanted to experience the ghosts at the castle. Like what drew you to Manresa in the first place?
3: Well, honestly, um, I was working for another company for about six years and um, we used to have our annual Christmas party here. And I always thought that it was a really neat place just because of the history And that was before I knew that it was so incredibly haunted. And I'm a huge fan of the paranormal and like a horror movie fanatic, but I've never actually experienced anything until I came here to work.
1: Well, I mean, I will start this off by sharing a quick, well, it's not really a quick, but a story that I have at Manresa that just kind of sticks out for me. So Manresa Castle was the site of the very first Strange Escapes event. I own a company called Strange Escapes, where we take people on haunted tours all over the world. And Manresa was our first one. I think we did it two or three years in a row. And it was conducive. Like as an environment is very conducive to that because it's very intimate. Like there's 40 rooms, but there is this kind of meeting space downstairs. And it's just gorgeous. It's in close proximity to downtown. Anyway, I digress as usual. I was there one year and I had brought my daughter, who I believe she was about three at the time. And I brought my sister with me to help me take care of my daughter, Charlotte. And Charlotte got very sick. Um, she was running a crazy fever. She was throwing up all night. Like, it was incredibly stressful. We ended up having to take her to, there's like a either an ER or an urgent care, like almost across the street from Manresa. We took her there, and they were able to give her some like meds and everything. But she was just out of it that whole trip. And this event was all adults. There's 40 rooms. At that time, kids weren't coming to these yet. And I'll never forget, there was one morning I went down to breakfast and I saw a bunch of women there and they were, you know, having coffee and whatnot. And they said, Charlotte sure was having fun this morning. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, we heard her just giggling away and running up and down the hallway at like 6.30 this morning. Can't believe you woke up that early. And these were a number of people who were staying in different rooms where they had come together. And I was like, no, Charlotte has been throwing up all night and been fast asleep all morning. She's definitely not playing. But they had heard a child running up and down the hallway and giggling. And there were definitely no kids present. So is that something that you have heard of before happening there?
3: Oh, yes. Actually, when I very first started, The front desk and also the housekeepers told me that when it was real, real quiet and there was like maybe one or two rooms, you know, that had people in them through the whole entire building, they would consistently hear children running up and down the hallways and giggling and laughing, you know, and they would go out there and there's absolutely nobody around. And they knew for a fact out of those two rooms that were in the building that there was no children present whatsoever. There is said to be a little girl right around nine or 10 years old that is supposed to be frequently here. And uh, some of the kitchen staff in our restaurant have seen her right on that end of the castle. Down by the restaurant is supposed to be the most original part of the castle where the front desk sits and like the add on. And I've actually personally seen that little girl during a power outage one time because I thought, you know, when I very first got here and I was like, ah, you know, what's the hype all about? Is this place really haunted? But even though I had heard a couple of um experiences from guests, but you know, nothing had happened to me yet. And we had this power outage and it stayed off for probably about two and a half hours. And there's no, you know, burning of candles of any kind in our rooms or anything like that. And so I was, believe it or not, out and about handing out glow sticks. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I mean whatever works. on the third <laughs> floor. Yes. <laughs> now I mean. Now, with the lights off in this place, boy, oh, boy, does it add some ambiance to the place.
1: Oh, yes. I remember. And I was, yeah. And I was up
3: on the third floor. And out of the corner of my eye, I thought I seen somebody standing down in the middle of the hallway and down by the attic stairs. And as I shined my flashlight down there, I seen a little girl just kind of dart around the corner. And I seen a, probably, you know, a couple of inches of her dress go around the corner. And when I walked down there and I was like, hello, and I knew that there wasn't any kids up on the floor that I had personally checked in. So, you know, it was very, very interesting. And probably about a week or so later, this lady comes to stay and she, it was a birthday gift to herself. And she'd Mm -hmm. stay in like for probably about nine days in 306, which is supposed to be the room room. (laughs) yes, where the innkeeper jumped out of the window at. And she told me, you know, that she was like medium and she was really, really sensitive to energies and she could converse a little bit with the spirits. And I had not told her anything whatsoever about this little girl, about seeing this spirit. And she comes down a couple of days later and tells me that she's experiencing somebody going through her belongings Mm -hmm. at about three or so-ish in the morning. And so she finally asked, you know, and it went on for a couple of days in a row, so she finally asked and reached out to the spirit, you know, who are you and what do you want? Why do you keep waking me up? And this little girl proudly announces that it was her 10th birthday and that she was looking for a birthday gift. And so after that happened, it immediately clicked in my head. I was like, oh my, that was definitely the spirit of a little girl that I see because she was right around nine or 10 years old. And she was wearing a very, very old style little dress. And so it was just very, very odd.
1: (laughs) You know, I mean, it is very odd just because when you go through the history of Manresa, there are not really any deaths tied to it. There was one priest who drowned. There was a very big rumor that someone had taken his own life at some point in the building, but no one's been able to find record of that. But they think it might be some confusion because there was a priest who did drown about that time. But that's the only death people can seem to tie to the building with records. So what do you think is going on here? Why do you think there's all these other spirits that people report there?
3: Well, I was lucky enough to meet this young lady that she had bought a book off of Amazon that had the whole entire history of Manresa as well as going a little bit deeper into the ghost side of it.
1: Mm -hmm. And
3: this little girl is believed to be ice and vice's niece.
1: Okay. And okay. I guess and apparently I, there buried? was also
3: a mysterious body of a child that was found in their crib too.
1: That's what I was going to say. There was a coffin because something happened with their, their coffin was glass and it broke. And so when they noticed this, they went in and they found the grave of a child that no one had known of. And even the descendants weren't sure who this person was. You know, it's funny that you were talking about the rearranging of things because I do remember when we were there that a number of our guests were reporting that they would come back to their room and things were moved or things were put away. Does that happen a lot?
3: Yes. And I've had it happen to me several times back when I very first started. That's kind of, it was almost like a snowball effect. You know, it started with the little flickering lights here and there and then odd things. Like I would come back to my office at night and I know that I'm the only one that's on shift, no maintenance person. Nobody else has a key that gets in and out of the office and my office lights would be all off. And speaking of things being moved around, one time I actually came in here and my keys, I had my register keys sitting here. And I mean, I searched this whole entire office high and low, could not find them anywhere walked around the corner where we keep all of our soaps and stuff. And there they were tucked like almost in behind a cabinet.
1: Now, have you had anybody just kind of get fed up or scared and just leave in the middle of the night? Since I've been here, there was
3: only one instance that I remember some folks, they had checked in rather late at night. It was probably maybe about eight or nine o'clock. And by midnight, they were gone. They, oh, they came yeah. down, and turned in their keys and said, nope, we can't do it.
1: Oh, no. Were they in 306 or somewhere else?
3: They were actually in 302, which is the one that sits right below where the monk hung himself.
1: So tell me about 306, because that—that why is that room so notorious?
3: 306 is supposed to be where Kate, the innkeeper, had jumped out the window at. Okay. And the story that surrounds that is her husband, he left this place sit empty for probably about, um, his wife ended up remarrying, and she left it sit empty for probably about 20 some odd years.
1: Right, I remember reading there was a caretaker. Yeah, there was a caretaker there.
3: Yeah, and she had had a a fiance that went out to sea, and she was told that he had died out at sea. And so she, of course, was convinced she was never, ever going to find another love, and so she jumped out the window, and he came home. So it's kind of like this tragic love story. Mm. And the most accounts that I honestly get from that room, people report a woman crying.
1: Interesting.
3: Yes. And ironically, people have heard a baby crying in there as well.
1: Yeah. It's not rare for us to go into places that have a lot of reported activity that doesn't necessarily match up with the history or are things that we can't find in the history. Like For as long as Manresa has existed, there's probably a number of things that have happened there over the years that we don't know about. But I do just love kind of the lore surrounding the building, whether or not we can verify it. And regardless of whether we can verify the history, it's haunted. Like I can vouch for that. (laughs) So honestly,
3: you know, the few mediums that I have talked to, they kind of feel like it's more of like a crossroads or maybe a portal where thousands of spirits just kind of float on through and maybe there's something that draws them here. So I've also heard that side of it too.
1: Right. I mean, I've heard so that. maybe
3: it's not just the spirits that we've been told about, you know, the few stories that we've been told about that are here, you know, there's maybe other spirits that come on through.
1: So that being said, now, have you ever been truly fearful there? Have you ever been truly scared at any point?
3: There was only one time that it actually got me and sent chills down my spine. It was a couple of months in. I'd only been here for maybe about four months or so. I had just locked up everything for the night. It was probably about quarter to 11 or so. And it was on a Monday night, which is the only night of the week that our restaurant and our lounges are closed. So it was really, really quiet. Not many people in the building. I didn't have any guests that night. either. And I was on my way out the back. And as you walk down the hallway and you turn off all the lights, there's this one little spot back there that you kind of have to walk a couple of feet before the automatic lights kick in. And I had just turned them off and it was so dark back there. I couldn't even see my own hand in front of my face. Mm -hmm. And this female voice, almost in a whisper, just said hello into my ear. (laughs) Girlfriend, when I say I ran out that door (laughs) so fast. I guess it wasn't the fact that I was really scared. I guess it just kind of caught me off guard. You know, it was like my fight or flight kicked in. I was like,
1: I'm out. Well, that's just it. So as someone who does this a lot and has experienced many disembodied voices, they continue to be one of the scariest bit of phenomena for me, because you're, you hear a voice come from thin air where a mouth would be if someone was standing there, but no one is there. And your body, it's that instinct of like something is wrong. And you do, like you have to stop yourself because your instincts kick in. Whether or not you're like a big, bad, brave ghost hunter, like I am clearly. But <laughs> you, you do have this kind of like, I want to run away right now. <laughs> so, yeah, that probably would have gotten to me. I mean, she was saying hi, but she probably could have picked a more opportune moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if you want to make friends, you should probably not sneak up in them, on them in the dark, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How has the pandemic affected things? Are things slower? Are things picking back up? Like, how's business? Is it affecting the haunting?
3: I mean, during this time of year, it's, it's slow anyhow. But this summer, we actually were, we were full, full, full all the time and especially on weekends, you know, which is more common. But we had quite a few people during the week as well. So it, it was pretty busy.
1: Well, that's good. I do feel like a lot of people are doing a lot of domestic travel right now. And I live in a tourist town. I live in Newport, Rhode Island. And the last two summers have been some of the busiest times I've ever experienced here. And I think it's because people didn't really want to go anywhere else. But what is it like there in the winter when it's slow? What's the vibe?
3: Oh, it's so slow and so quiet. I find honestly that I've had more things, more experiences and more feelings in here of the paranormal activity, just because there's been some nights where there's been absolutely nobody in the building but me. And so that's very interesting vibe as well
1: (laughs) that's an eerie feeling you know you know there's just all these empty rooms basically
3: just here to answer phones you know and there's nobody staying in any of the rooms i have not got no check-ins and yeah there was a couple of times where i decided you know to just get up and kind of do my own spiritual adventure and just go ghost hunting myself and oh yeah i've had i've had quite a few things happen like radios come on all by themselves uh clocks working when they're supposed to be broken oh yeah (laughs) yeah that
1: sounds fun to me i feel like that's (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's
3: a blast i absolutely love working here it's like you mean i get paid to do this really
1: (laughs) i do know so okay so when we first did strange escapes at manresa they were very open about their ghosts and the paranormal activity they were thrilled to have us i think they've changed hands since the only reason we have not been back was not because of anything other than the journey for us was really difficult getting all of my speakers all the way there. But we loved it. And I'm sure we'll go back in the future. But how are the current owners? How are they? Are they open to their haunts? Do they welcome people coming in and being curious about the paranormal?
3: Oh, very much so. We a lot of times encourage that. I see people come through that bring thousands of dollars in equipment to do little ghost hunts. And and that's one thing that's wonderful about being the nighttime person and being by myself is I get to participate and take them places like the attic and them and, and kind of do investigations with them. I've done that several times. But yeah, we definitely that's encourage fun. people to walk around after hours and see what they can find.
1: Yeah, you know, my favorite time to go to haunted places is really the off season and it's just because that's when you can really fully experience it. Like it's obviously fun and beautiful. I'm sure to go to Port Townsend in the summer. But my favorite time to go to places like that is when nobody else is there. And so I guess that's, you know, that's why us paranormal investigators are good for business. Hey, right. <laughs> and that's
3: exactly what I tell wanna- you too. If you want the full experience, come during the off season or come during the week on, you know, like Monday through Thursday, you know, instead of on the weekends. Because I feel like people don't get nearly as much of a reaction from the spirits when there's a bunches and bunches of people in the building. And also yeah, they added an additional bar too. So, yeah. we have now two lounges and a restaurant. Ooh. So, there's tons of people around. And I feel like people don't get as much paranormal activity as when it's quiet.
1: Right. I mean, I've learned, I think sometimes it's actually happening. You just can't tell as often when there's people all around you and it's busy. And and you're talking. not as in tune looking yeah. for it, per se. You might not notice. You could literally have a ghost sitting right next to you and you wouldn't know at that point, you know? So I always tell businesses who have paranormal activity, I remind them that A, paranormal investigators like to go during the slow season and B, they want to come in and sit in the dark and be as quiet as possible. So they're literally the best customers you can have.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, when it's really quiet and versus when it's busy in here, um, there's a clock that sits on our wall in the lobby. And I was told that it has to have the double keys to wind it up. Well, the keys have been missing for years. So this clock has been broken for years. And the girl that trained me, she had been here for probably about two years And she's now the office manager and she actually had it on film of the hands moving. And that was back when I very first started, you know, so I was like, okay, you know, I think you're just trying to scare me. Well, this one particular night, like I said, all the other times, you know, it's been real quiet. Well, this night they had a jazz band playing and some kind of ball game or something taking down, you know, downstairs in the bar. So it was fairly loud. And all of a sudden, a pendulum started swinging on the clock and it chimed three times. And that was the one and only experience that I've had that there's been a lot of people around. And of course there wasn't anybody in the lobby to see it. So it made me look like I was totally (laughs) crazy pants, but And wouldn't you know, it shocked me so bad. I didn't even think to get my cell phone out. So now, you know, of the crew, a big joke around here, the crew is like, sure, Amber, non, sure that happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. I mean, it's actually pretty, we experience a lot where activity spikes either during or after things have been, you know, jumping in some of these places, you know, like Adam and I have actually brought in on Kindred Spirits. We've actually brought in a band before to kind of, get the energy up into some of these, because they would say that they'd be closing at night and all of this activity would happen, but you know, we would be there for days with no one there. And so we'd bring in a band to kind of get that energy level up again and it it works. So yeah, I would keep an eye on that, you know, like really busy nights. I think that the spirit world feels that too. They get excited and, and more active.
3: I do too. And being the fact that this used to be their home, I personally view it as, you know, they're excited that we're bringing their place back to life, you know, more or less. That's kind of how I feel about it. Because even during that same power outage, I had one um, light. Now there's eight light bulbs in this chandelier that sits above in our lobby. And during that same power outage that I'd seen the little girl, there was one light bulb that stayed on the full two and a half hours, even though the rest of the entire castle did not have one single light on it. And I seen that as, you know, what are the odds that they would leave nothing but the entrance light on? It was kind of Mm -hmm. like, welcome to my home, you know, that's kind of how I feel too. Because it seems like whenever it's busier, I feel like it kicks up that spiritual activity, almost like they're excited. Hey, people, you know, we're bringing their place back to life.
1: I believe that. And I know that the last like three or four owners have been very dedicated to kind of Keeping it the way it is, you know, being true to its roots and not doing any crazy renovations or anything like you do walk in and you feel like you're taking a step back in time and it's gorgeous and the energy is just fabulous. Like, I I love it. And I'm incredibly jealous of your job. So (laughs) But the particular owner that I
3: work for, he's had the place for probably about six years. And I watched him put a brand new paint job on the place and they just redid the roof. And now he's working on an accent wall up on the second and third floor in the hallway and also adding some additional antique furniture to the rooms and just bringing the place back to life. It's just wonderful. I feel very lucky to work here and actually see that taking place.
1: That's wonderful to hear. And I'm thrilled. It's, it's been a while since I visited. I want to get back again. So if people want to visit Manresa, is there a website they can go to? Any tips or tricks or times you think they should visit?
3: Um, yeah, they're more than welcome to go to our manresacastle.com or we also have the castle.com as well, which is a little bit more of um, the restaurant and the lounge side of it. And they can see what kind of live events that we've got going on throughout the months. I think it goes like three months out. And Mm -hmm. also recently they've been rolling out some wedding packages too. So if anybody wants to have a wedding here and whatnot. So yeah, they're doing all kinds of stuff to bring the place back to life.
1: I love that. Well, ghosts aside, Manry's is just a beautiful place to visit. Port Townsend is a great little town and it's well worth the trip. So I recommend it to everyone. And so go check it out. Gorgeous. Yes. Say hi to Amber Dawn. She'll be there in the middle of the night waiting for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I got
3: lots and lots of ghost stories to tell.
1: I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I super appreciate you taking the time. You've been lovely. It's been my pleasure. I probably sound like a broken record when I talk about how important getting accurate history is when it comes to a haunting But I don't think the paranormal field, or even me, had this priority in the past. We would walk into buildings and take every word of lore someone, in this case apparently a bartender, passed on to us as gospel, and we'd roll with it. Thankfully, Manresa seems like a very peaceful haunt, whoever is there. But I challenge you to do some extra digging, not just on Manresa, but any potentially haunted location. Let's learn about their ghosts. So maybe, just maybe, next time we're huddled in the dark trying to capture that elusive EVP, we've at least got the ghost's name right. Maybe then they may be more inclined to respond. If you head to Manresa, say hi to Amber Dawn, and I'd go visit that burial vault when you're in town. Inside lies the body of an unidentified child, and they may just need a bit of our love. Plus, That's a mystery I'm, and I'm sure now you, are very compelled to solve. Until next time, I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. If you want to join us on a spooky vacation, please check out my company Strange Escapes at strange-escapes.com. Also, new episodes of Kindred Spirits are currently airing on Travel Channel on Saturday nights at 10, 9 central or streaming on Discovery Plus.
0: Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. The podcast is written and hosted by Amy Bruni. Executive producers include Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. The show is produced by Rima Ilkayali and Trevor Young. Research by Taylor Hagerdorn, Amy Bruni, and Robin Miniter. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.